Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about fertility treatment and sex. But before I dive into that topic, I wanted to thank those of you guys who wrote us an honest review on iTunes and Stitchers. It helps me to see what kind of topics that you guys are interested in. Honestly, it's very encouraging to read those reviews, but most importantly, it helps this show to rank higher in iTunes so I would be able to reach a broader audience. Because as you know, when it comes to sexuality, sex education, there are so many misconceptions out there and it just ruins people's sexual life. And that's something I see every day in my private practice. That's why I wanted to do this show. And that's why I'm asking you, if you have a moment, please write us a review. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about fertility uh, treatment and sex. This is a very important topic because when I get couples in my office, many of them they tell me that their frustration, their issues around sexuality started when they went, started going to the fertility treatment. Not like anything wrong is fertility treatment, but it can be stressful. People don't have enough information around sexual uh, aspect of things and how to have sex that's fun, but still will help them to conceive. I invited one of our family friends, this very skilled clinician, to come in, uh, he's one of the most skillful, talented, competent fertility specialists that I know. His name is Dr. Ezati. He's a fertility specialist and reproductive surgeon and Palo Alto Medical Foundation 
affiliated with Sutter Health in Bay Area in Northern California. Dr. Ezzati received his medical degree from Tehran University in Tehran, Iran. After medical school, Dr. Ezzati moved to England to pursue specialty training in obstetric and gynecology at the teaching hospital of the University of Cambridge and the University of London, where he also served as a clinical lecturer. In 2007, Dr. Ezzati moved to the United States and completed his internship and residency at Georgetown University Hospital, Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. Following his residency, he completed fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Ezzati is double board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility. He is currently on the editorial board of the Journal of Minimally Invasive Gynecology and also serves as an ad hoc peer reviewer for several other high-impact journals such as Human Reproduction, Journal of Assisted Reproduction, and Genetic Placenta and Reproductive Biomedicine Online. Wow. <laughs> and there were like lots of different accolades and prestigious awards that he received. I put it on the show notes. So if you want to learn more about him and his practice, please check it out. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Ezzati. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Ezzati on the show today. Dr. Ezzati is a fertility specialist and reproductive surgeon. Dr. Ezzati, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks very much for having me. I am so excited to have you on because as a sex therapist, I often get lots of questions that couples have around sex and intimacy when they're going through uh, infertility process after pregnancy. So this is wonderful to have, a, have an expert that can tell us more about this process. Yes, definitely. As a fertility specialist, I also uh, hear a lot of couples having a lot of questions about these topics that you mentioned, and there's a lot of misconceptions in the among the public about these things. So I think it would be helpful to have some sort of evidence-based recommendations about these topics. Absolutely. So let us start with some of the most common misconceptions that you hear from your patients about sex during fertility treatment. Probably the most common one that I keep hearing on a repeated basis is about the timing of having intercourse and having sexual intimacy. Because a lot of times when couples come and seek medical advice about uh, their desire to have a child and have a family, a lot of times they uh, keep um, uh, sort of uh, blaming themselves for not doing it at the right time. Uh, and then that's the most common misconception because they are under the impression that intercourse needs to happen on the day of the ovulation. So they go through a lot of uh, testing with different apps and different urine tests and calendars and so many different things to try to predict their ovulation and then making sure that they have sex on the day of ovulation. And this is very uh, problematic for their uh, relationship because it turns intercourse into a chore and uh, puts a lot of pressure on both male and female partner with actually no added benefit in terms of their ability to conceive and have a child. So this is probably the most common 
complaint that I hear. One other thing that I hear is some of the couples I see, they, they think they need to have intercourse all the time, pretty much every day. And they tell me it's just very challenging and tiring and it's impact their sex life. Is that something you hear as well? Absolutely. I do hear a lot from uh, both, again, male and female partners that a lot of time they say that, oh, uh, we've been trying for one year, one and a half year, and I know why we haven't conceived so far because we haven't been doing it enough. And then when you ask them, okay, so how often do you actually have intercourse? They say, well, we do it only twice a week or we do it only, I don't know, uh, once a week. And that's not enough. I know we need to do it more than that. Uh, So that's a very common uh, misconceptions too. Anything else that you hear around the misconceptions around the couples that you see? The other misconception is about basically the position of intercourse. A lot of times they have questions about, okay, what type of sexual position is more likely to result in pregnancy? That's uh, commonly asked. The other uh, misconception is that, okay, when we have intercourse, I see a lot of the semen or fluid coming out from the vagina. Does that mean that I need to uh, keep lying down and put a pillow (laughs) under my feet and then basically stay in that position to make sure the same remains in the vagina. So um, sometimes they stay in bed for one hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> after intercourse to making sure that a sperm and semen has remained in the vagina. So these uh, are probably some of the other common questions that I get. Right. So tell me about the position. Is that true? Like, is there a certain position they need to engage in, like intercourse? So in order to make sure that they're, they're in the right path, or is that a misconception? No, that's a misconception. There is no particular sexual position that's been associated with higher likelihood of fertility. As long as the male partner can ejaculate in the vagina, regardless of what position, in what position that ejaculation was achieved, then that's fine. So there is really no specific position that man has to be on top, woman has to be on the bottom or anything like that. Even if they are standing, so there should be a sperm in the vagina following intercourse. So there is no particular position they can have intercourse as they please. The other thought that I have is about the frequency that we were talking about. Is there any like is there a magic number as far as a frequency that kind of leads to getting pregnant, or that's not necessarily true? So I always give this sort of a um, analogy that uh, men and their sperm are very patient. And on the other hand, women and their eggs are a little bit impatient, which means that if you are going to uh, have intercourse, once a sperm enters the female reproductive tract, it can actually stay within the female reproductive tract waiting for the eggs for up to five days. So as long as there has been intercourse within five days of ovulation, then that should be enough. On the other hand, eggs are very impatient. So once a woman ovulates, which happens uh, once a month in those who are having regular monthly periods, then egg doesn't wait for longer than maybe 10, 12 hours for the sperm to appear at the date side, which is the fallopian tube. So um, if, you are go- if a couple is planning to have intercourse for the purpose of procreation and uh, getting pregnant, then that intercourse needs to happen before ovulation as long as it has happened within five days leading to ovulation, then they are going to have a very good chance of uh, having an encounter between the egg and the sperm. It's even better if intercourse happens within the three days leading to ovulation, but there is really no extra benefit on third day before ovulation versus second day or one day before ovulation, even the day of ovulation. 
So because of that, we usually recommend uh, couples who are planning to become pregnant to have intercourse at least twice a week at on a, whatever day they feel comfortable or would like to have intercourse. And that would ensure that regardless of what day of the week the woman ovulates, a sperm has been present in her reproductive tract within the three days leading to ovulation. So I would say usually twice a week on whatever day they would like to have intercourse. They don't really need to keep checking their urine for ovulation or use an app to predict their ovulation and ensuring that sex has happened on that particular day. Wow, interesting. It's very different from what I hear from my clients that they're trying to get pregnant. I usually hear this like rigidity around that we need to have sex certain amount of time in certain amount of like certain kind of position. And if we're not doing it perfectly, we're losing our chance of getting pregnant. So it's interesting that there are some flexibility within these kind of uh, behaviors. Uh, yes, absolutely. And a lot of times couples who plan to conceive start, uh, basically stop enjoying intercourse and having sex because it turns into a chore and an activity that they have to do it on a specific time of the day or on a specific date. So, for example, I mean, the man, uh, the male partner may start having uh, performance anxiety, may start having erectile dysfunction or other issues. The woman may stop enjoying intercourse, again, because it turns into something that is being done for a specific purpose for which you really can't say whether it happened or not until two weeks later. And then if it doesn't happen, then you're going to keep saying, okay, maybe we didn't do it at the right time. Maybe it was in the right position. Maybe I uh, got up too quick after having intercourse and all the sperm came out. So uh, all of these possible complaints or possible um, issues uh, causes a lot of problem in the couple's relationship. Absolutely. And I know, as we talked about, you're a fertility specialist. So and I would imagine part of your practice is helping couples who are struggling with infertility. Do you see that uh, this, the struggles around infertility have an, having an impact on a couple's sexual relationships? Absolutely. All the time. Fertility treatment is a very, very stressful process in a couple's uh, relationship and a couple's life. Actually, some studies have have suggested that the stress associated with infertility is as much as what you expect to be associated with the diagnosis of cancer or with the diagnosis of positive HIV. So it's a very, very stressful uh, time in couples' uh, life and relationship. And it definitely uh, takes its toll on uh, on the quality of their marriage and on the quality of their sexual relationship. So it's very important for couples to know that uh, there are a lot of other possible causes for difficulty getting pregnant, and they should not necessarily associate um, infrequent intercourse or anything like that uh, with, uh, with uh, difficulty getting pregnant. So if they are in- experiencing difficulties with becoming pregnant, then they definitely need to seek advice of a fertility specialist or their OBGYN, and then... Um, start a full um, uh, fertility workup and evaluation to see if there is any identifiable cause for that infertility and not necessarily assume or make an assumption that it's the male, uh, basically the male partner's cause uh, or the female partner's fault that they, um, that they don't have any control over it. Right. And I guess I, I need to step back and I wanted to kind of talk about what is the definition of infertility? Because I think people at times, they don't have a clear understanding of that. How do you define that? So um, in general, uh, women ovulate one egg once a month 
And if that egg does not get fertilized, then they have to wait all the way till next month and another ovulation to have another shot at fertility. But it's also important to know that women are born with a limited number of eggs. It's a non-renewable endowment that women are born with at the time of birth. And then they are asked to use these eggs for the rest of their reproductive lifespan. The implication of this fact is that each month that they release an egg, that egg has been waiting since birth before being released. So even a 20-year-old uh, woman, when she's ovulating, her egg has been waiting for 20 years, a 30-year-old for 30 years, and so on and so forth. Because of this relatively lengthy period of time that egg had to wait before being released, the quality of the egg in a woman uh, directly uh, correlates with her age. The younger they are, the better the quality. The older they are, the lower the quality. But even at a very young age of, let's say, early 20s, the quality of egg is good only in about 25% of the time, which means that if a 20-year-old woman starts having unprotected regular intercourse every day of the week, at the end of the month, there is only 25% chance for her get, to get pregnant because 75% of the time there was something wrong with that egg that was released. So, but next month, if she continues having unprotected sex, then next month, another 25%. And next month, another 25%. So, statistically, at that very young age, in early 20s, about um, 92-3% of couples are pregnant after one year of regular unprotected intercourse. This number of 25% pregnancy rate per month keeps declining with increasing age. Around age 30, it's maybe about 22-23%. And by age 35, is around 16 to 17% uh, per month. So for all couples in, uh, considered together, especially those younger than 35, uh, in which the female partner is younger than 35, about 85% of couples who engage in regular unprotected intercourse must be pregnant after one year. So by definition, if a couple has been engaged in regular unprotected intercourse for 12 months and still, not, still are not pregnant, we call them infertile. That's a wonderful clarification because that's not how, what people usually have in mind. Sorry, carry on. But it's also important to know that infertility is a very pejorative term and has a lot of stigma associated with it. So instead of using infertile, because a lot of these couples are not actually infertile, I would call them having difficulties conceiving or subfertility. That's a more uh, productive term, but it could be for two reasons. So if a couple doesn't become pregnant after one year of regular unprotected intercourse and we start evaluating them, in about 90% of the time, we find something wrong in one of the four primary elements that would have been needed for the couple to get pregnant. What are those four elements? One of them is the sperm in the male partner. The other one is the egg in the female partner. And then, again, a sperm needs to have a place to have their first date. That place is called the fallopian tube. And then, after having their first date, if they're it's basically successful first date, then they need to have a place to go to, and that place is called the uterus. So basic fertility evaluation will be focused on egg, sperm, tube, and the uterus. These are the four elements. And in about 90% of the time, we find something wrong in one of those four elements if a couple hasn't become pregnant after one year of intercourse, of unprotected intercourse. Um, however, in about 10 to 15% of the time, we don't really find anything wrong anywhere. Uh, he has a sperm in his ejaculate. Female partner has enough number of eggs in her ovaries and ovulates on a regular basis. 
her fallopian tubes are open and her uterine cavity and uterus look normal. In that situation, we call this unexplained infertility. But it's important to know that unexplained infertility can be because of two very different reasons. One possible explanation of unexplained infertility could be that just by chance, every month that they have had sex in the past 12 months, she has been releasing the poor quality egg and hasn't released a good quality egg yet. So that's one explanation. But the second possible explanation could be that, no, maybe there is something wrong with either the egg or the sperm or the tube or the uterus, but we just don't know what it is because our available battery of tests are not perfect to be able to identify each and everything that can potentially be wrong with these four elements. And so um, what, uh, the factor that helps us differentiate whether there is something wrong with actually one of these four elements or whether it's been just a matter of a strict bad luck would be the duration of fertility attempts. So if a young couple in whom everything is okay has tried for one year and they haven't become pregnant, then most likely they've been experiencing a streak of bad luck so they can keep trying on their own. And statistically, even after one year, if they haven't become pregnant, if they try the second year, they have about 50% chance of becoming pregnant spontaneously with no treatment during the second year of their attempts. But on the other hand, if a couple has tried for three, four, five years and they haven't become pregnant, then it becomes uh, less likely for them to conceive spontaneously on their own and uh, it becomes more plausible to consider that there is something wrong with one of those four elements. We just don't know what it is and that's when they would need uh, treatment. However, it's also important to know that any couple at any time, they can request some sort of basic fertility evaluation. Even if they have tried for one or two months or three months and they haven't become pregnant, they can always ask their doctor to do a very basic evaluation, including like a semen analysis, just to make sure that there is a sperm in the ejaculate, and also do an ovarian reserve testing just to make sure that he has enough, she has enough eggs in her ovaries. So a basic evaluation can be done at any point, depending on the couple's request. But treatment is usually initiated after, after a certain amount of time based on the couple's age. Right. And as you were talking about the process, I was thinking how stressful it is for the couple to try for years if they want to conceive. And I would imagine after conception, it's just like a sense of relief and excitement. And I, and I, I would imagine many of them would be very cautious around the activities during the pregnancy. So is it safe for couples to have sex during the pregnancy? Yes, absolutely. Basically, intercourse and uh, sexual activity during uh, pregnancy has not been associated with any adverse uh, outcome during pregnancy, especially for normal pregnancies where we are not anticipating any issue, then they can definitely have intercourse. However, there are certain situations, um, for example, when there is abnormal bleeding in early pregnancy or if uh, there is significant abdominal pain, where we are concerned about the possibility of a miscarriage or of an ectopic pregnancy, then during these uh, abnormal pregnancies, we usually recommend a couple refrain from intercourse until we have clarified the situation. But it's important to know that intercourse does not cause miscarriage and intercourse does not cause an ectopic pregnancy. So uh, intercourse or sexual activity of any sort uh, does not have any negative impact on pregnancy and does not change the course of the pregnancy, whatever is destined to become, whether normal or abnormal. 
So a couple can have intercourse unless uh, specifically their doctors request them not to have intercourse because of some complications such as uh, bleeding or uh, other uh, symptoms. It's good to hear that it's like for people who are pregnant, there's no complication. There is no issue around kind of like protecting the fetus around like if, if you are sexually active or you're having intercourse unless you're physician advise you otherwise the other thing i wanted to know is like how long is the fertility treatment how long people usually stay with the treatment until they could have arrived to this conclusion that this is maybe they're not be able to have children biological children um that's a great question and the answer that i usually uh give couple is that i would advise them to look at fertility treatment as a marathon rather than of a sprint mm-hmm. because it can take a very long time for fertility treatment. So some couples are very lucky and within one or two months of trying and starting fertility treatment, they get uh, pregnant and graduate from our fertility practice. On the other hand, there are couples who may need to be within uh, a treatment cycle for one, two, or even three years. Um, So it pretty much depends on the underlying cause for fertility. Uh, problems and also how aggressive the couple would like to be with their treatment planning. The other uh, problem with fertility treatment is that just naturally in uh, human beings, fertility and conception can happen on a cyclic basis, which means that if it doesn't happen this month, we cannot try again tomorrow. Or sorry, if it doesn't happen today, we cannot again try tomorrow. We have to wait the whole month until we have another shot at ovulation. So by the by just the virtue of the fact that it takes a long, it takes about a month at least for a woman to ovulate, it adds to the length of time that is required for fertility treatment. This can be very, very frustrating for a lot of couples. So because of this, it's not uncommon for me to meet couples who have done one or two or three cycles. Unfortunately, it was not successful. And then they drop out of the treatment and then go and start trying on their own and then basically say that, okay, don't worry about it. If it happens, happens. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. And then after one year or one and a half year, when it doesn't happen, they come back again to doctor and say that, okay, we tried a few times last time. It didn't work. We took some time off and we want to resume our fertility treatment again now. So um, a lot of times fertility treatment becomes unnecessarily longer than what it would have been just because couples drop out of the treatment not necessarily because they cannot financially afford it or because there have been a complication, just because it's so frustrating for them to keep coming to doctors, practice for blood tests and ultrasound and IUIs and IVF. And then when it doesn't work, they just don't feel like they're ready to start another cycle quickly after one failed attempt. Do you have recommendations for those couples that they're trying, they're frustrated, their sense of self is impacted, but they, they want to have children? What are some of your recommendations to them? So my number one recommendation is try to educate them about the sexual relationship and the benefits of a, of a fruitful and joyful sexual activity and intimacy for a couple and try to uh, tell them that don't consider themselves faulty that of the fact that they haven't become pregnant is neither of the couple's fault. It's just something that both couples need to be actively involved and engaged in the process. I try to basically ask them to support each other and then to try to sort of dissociate sexual activity from pregnancy, just to tell them, okay, just go and have sex for the purpose of recreation and having fun, not necessarily trying to get pregnant. 
and then let the fertility physicians take care of the fertility part. So that's something that at least helps them to preserve some of the some of the benefits of that relationship without having necessarily to compromise it because of the fertility treatment. And then also I tell them that look at it again, as I said, as a marathon, not a sprint. Look at this as a long-term process. And then if it happens uh, early in the um, treatment that you get pregnant and deliver a beautiful baby child, then that's fine. If not, then just um, know that um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It may require more steps. It may require more aggressive treatments. But for the great majority of couples, there is definitely a treatment option available. Right. And I love when you were talking about the kind of dissociating, like kind of focusing on sex for pleasure as, as part of the process as well, because it's hard if you're doing it as a chore, you're not doing it because you're desiring your partner, you're doing it just because you guys have this task. And in reality, I bet like part of it is that you want to conceive and you want to get pregnant. But if it turns to a, a task, people can have, as you, as you were talking about, performance anxiety. At times I have clients that sex become painful for them because they're not aroused. So it could be a number of different issues associated with that. Absolutely. I, we see that all the time. So you articulated that very well. So Dr. Izzati, I bet our listeners would like to learn more about you, your practice. What, what would be the best way of contacting you? So I currently work at Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Uh, we have in Northern California, we have three offices in Palo Alto, San Jose, and Fremont. So if they look me up online, they will be able to um, access our website through Southern House, and they can uh, send me any questions or schedule an appointment if uh, they require to do so. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I make sure I leave a link to, to your page on the show notes. No problem. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Ezati helpful. I know many people that I know that I work with, these are successful women and men that they decide to have children later in their marriage, in their relationships, late 30s, early 40s. And in order to conceive, they might need some further support like fertility treatment. And it's it's common to have this frustration that Dr. Ezati talked about I know sometimes when we feel shameful, frustrated around topics, we tend to kind of withdraw. We tend to not seek out information and kind of detach from the ourselves and our partner. So if that's you, it's just important to keep in mind that you and your partner are in the same team. There are all solutions out there. If sex and relationship is something that you guys are struggling while going through this treatment, you can work with a sex therapist, you can work with a therapist. And I guess first step would be talking to your physician to get more accurate information about these topics. Anyhow, please let me know if there's any other topic you guys want to, you wanted to learn more about it in this podcast. If you want to learn more about psychology of sex, food, sex, and drug, you can check my social media. I'm pretty much everywhere. And my handle is at oasis to care. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.